What's up, everybody? Thanks for stopping by the show. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Tonight, we have a great guest, Jack Allen Levine, an addiction specialist, an author, business entrepreneur. He's actually a serial entrepreneur from the looks of his bio. He's got tons of businesses that he's been a part of. So we're going to do that. But first, I need you to check out the website. Let me see. Let me go over here real quick. SeanDustin.com. That's the new website. Everything that I'm doing is over there. You can find on the tabs there. You can do advertising with the show. You can put your logo right up here if you want. If you have product services, anything you have to do. If you need some advertising, feel free to reach out to the podcast on the advertising and services page on the website. And then also, too, all the videos, all the audio, everything, reviews, anything that you want, any place that the show is at, all the social media, all the things are over on the website. So check it out, SeanDustin.com. The next thing is, if you're watching this on YouTube, do me a favor, subscribe. If you're listening on Apple or one of the other podcast platforms, do me a favor and rate the show and review it. It doesn't sound like it's a lot, but definitely it is, especially if you don't, can't afford to support the show monetarily. That's the best way to do it is to go through and just rate it, whatever you think it is, and give an honest review. You know, I, I listen to those and sometimes, you know, I'll check them out and, you know, that gives me an idea of what I'm doing or what I'm not doing. If you have any questions, if you have a show suggestion, if you have a guest suggestion, go ahead and hit the email, which is nowhere to go but up now at gmail.com, or just head over to the website. You can leave me a voice message. You can leave me an email there. Everything you can do on that website, seandustin.com. So we will be back in just a moment right after do the intro. All right. We'll be back in just a moment. Let's get to it. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. Took you out on accident. Jeez, you were supposed to be there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, where's Jack? Where'd he go? <laughs> How's it going, Jack? It's going great, Sean. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm fired up by your intro music. I love it. I'm ready to go. Awesome right. to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, shout out to Adrian who set this up. Good publicist there. I do a lot of interviews for her. So, or conversations, interviews. I don't know. Interviews seem so sterile. 
what I think what I do is I have conversations with people that, you know, where some questions get dropped in sometimes and sometimes I don't. I love that. All right. So tell me a little bit about your story. I know that you're a successful business person. You, you know, been an ad exec. You started out, you know, 2002, you sold that business, I believe. And I mean, you've been around success. It sounds like your whole life. Yeah. You're seeing, you know, the good part of it. Like yourself, I have a, a tale to tell. Mine did not wind up in prison, thankfully, but easily could have with some of the choices and decisions I made. So very briefly, by introduction to your audience, so I was brought up with very middle-class parents, very loving and wonderful parents. I had an older brother, a great guy. And at 16 years old, I started smoking. You know, always wanted to be a baseball player for the Yankees growing up in New York, but only playing three months a year. That didn't happen. So advertising was the next best thing. I went to Syracuse University. I graduated high school a year early, wanted to get out, you know, and explore the world. Syracuse was great, but my drug, you know, use really kicked in Syracuse. I went from pot to quaaludes to cocaine, which eventually, along with Percocet, destroyed me. And it doesn't matter which drug takes you there, and alcohol is a drug as well. It just matters where you get. I remember sitting in a, in a Gambler's Anonymous meeting as well. I had that issue. Nice to have both. You know, why not? And I was looking around the room and all the people had come there, you know, from different things, different, it didn't matter what your quantity of use was. It didn't matter how often we were all in the same place spiritually broken and destroyed. And that's what my drug use did to me. Interestingly enough, I was very high functioning. So I graduated Syracuse with two degrees, an advertising degree and a sociology degree. I went to work on Madison Avenue. My drug use increased, but I was high functioning. And even all through my life, I actually moved away from New York, Sean, in 1985 to get away from my drug addiction. I figured if I can get away from the people that I was around, you know, that would do it. Of course, that didn't work. And it followed with me. I went down to Florida. It continued and continued. And uh, it just finally, finally, in, in I want to say 1990-something, for the first time, you know, it really hit me that I was out of control. I always used to be able to party but come back, especially in college, I could do an eighth of cocaine and be fine a day later. Well, the older I got, it took me a week to recover. It took my body and mind time to recover. And uh, eventually it got the best of me. I was still high functioning. I started my own TV production company. I built that company with a partner from six employees on a borrowed $100,000 to 200 employees doing you know, millions of dollars in revenue a year. But I was you know, raging drug addict. And last comment to that in the beginning, I used to only do drugs after work. Five o'clock at night, I take Percocet, Quaaludes, whatever, fake Quaaludes by that. But then there came a point where it was two o'clock in the afternoon and then five o'clock. Then it was noon and two, then it was 10. That was when I woke up in the morning and I knew I was hooked. And here's the fascinating part. I would have stopped using drugs two years earlier if I would have known how easy detox was. I was so scared of the withdrawal process and what it would do to me because I knew I was so addicted that I kept functioning and doing it. When I finally went into detox and, and then rehab, I couldn't believe how easy it was. I mean, I, you know, the drugs they were giving me in detox were as good as what I was taking. And they weren't, you know, addictive. In four days, I was done. And, and I wanted to stop. So for me, again, you know, high functioning. I didn't lose my family. I, I did. Well, I take that back. I lost one marriage. The first time I was married for a year to a very sweet girl. And uh, I was at the height of my drug addiction. And we were going to have a baby to kind of save her. That didn't work. I went out on another cocaine binge. And I'll never forget. She came in and she threw something at me. And she said, you're a loser and you'll always be a loser. And uh, eventually after that, gig was up one morning. I didn't show up for work. My partner knocked on the door. I said, go away, go away. And by the way, Sean, there were no cell phones back then to text somebody that you're okay. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if I had a cell phone and could have texted people, I was okay. I could have avoided a lot of pain and heart for myself and everybody else. But that, you know, you, I don't know, you know, cocaine, you couldn't talk after you did it for a day or two. You were like, and then it became the enemy, it became paranoia, you know, mm-hmm. between, mm-hmm. in the great. I literally thought that the world could solve all their problems. If all the world leaders would sit around a table and store cocaine, there would be world peace. That was in the beginning. That was in the first year, just like a kidnapper opening up the, the candy saying, come on in. But then it's, I got you. And believe me, it is the devil. It trapped me. It sucked me in. I, I thought this is what an animal must feel like when, when he's trapped, you know, in, in, in a trap. But fortunately for me, I, I did detox. I went into rehab. I learned why I do drugs. I learned about it. And, you know, fortunately, it's been a, a great ride since then. I've been able to help people. Uh, by the way, I still have the desire to do drugs. It's never left me. I have friends who it's been taken away from. You're like, no, I don't have any desire anymore. Well, guess what? That desire has never left me. I'm, I'm not doing them, and I can only speak for today, and I pray tomorrow and the years to come, but it's been many decades now. But I still have the desire. Uh, we were talking earlier, and there were parts of it that were fun. There were parts of it that were great. However, the pain and suffering and what I went through, the hell I went through in my life and what I put other people through, I, I, I don't want to go back there. So if there were no downside, I would do it again. Yeah, I, you know, I, I would agree, you know, but unfortunately, not to mention that it's just bad for you, you know, it's health wise, and you don't even know today what you're getting with the fentanyl and everything else that's, you know, getting laced into these drugs, you know, you, you just don't know. And then the one thing that you that you'd mentioned, you don't have to go to prison to have a bad story. You know what I mean? Whatever's the worst thing that you've been through is the worst thing that you've been through. You know what I mean? And not what I've been through, you know, we, you can only measure it by what you've gone through. So, I mean, you know, so, some people hear, hear my, my intro and they, they say the same thing. And it's like, nah, man, it doesn't matter. What was the worst thing that you went through is the worst thing you went through. You know, there's no real, there's no, there's no, it's not, a, it's not a, a, what do they call that? A, a, a contest. You know what I mean? It's, you know, whatever it takes to get you there and to get you to stop doing what it is that you're doing, the behaviors that are, are, are debilitating to you and the people around you. Yeah. And I think Sean, it's important, you know, for people to know that, like I knew I was addicted. I, it wasn't fun anymore. It was fun, you know, for a year and two, maybe then it sucked so bad. And, you know, the emotional where it brought me emotionally and spiritually, like, I, you know, it, it was just horrible. I had everything by the world standards. I had money, power, fame, I could gamble, I could, you know, girlfriends, everything that you would want. And I was miserable. I was empty and miserable. And and the drugs were taking me down a path of, you know, total destruction and ruin. And yeah, I hadn't lost my health and my teeth. I wasn't doing meth, you know, and I hadn't lost my job yet. And, you know, I was able to hide it a little better, but it didn't matter. I mean, that that was better for me that I wasn't out in the street and homeless. But nonetheless, I, I was destroyed as a person spiritually. It was a horrible, horrible, you know, way to live. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. There was once a sports handicapper called Jimmy the Greek Schneider. He was pretty famous in his day. And he said, I wouldn't wish gambling on my worst enemy. You know? And I feel the same way about addiction. I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But you talked about today not knowing what you're getting. You know, I have a 20-year-old son. And, you know, I tell him, you know, you, you cannot take anything, you know, you, you don't know. Mm-hmm. You, you, just, you know, when I went to college, my mother gave me a PBR. Most people won't know what that is. It's a physician's death reference. You mm-hmm. work in a hospital. You better know what you're taking. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I did know, and it didn't help me, but it, it, is, it is horrible with this fentanyl today and, and, and the risk. You're literally playing Russian roulette, 
And there was an article in the other day, the FBI showed pictures of a fake Percocet and real Percocet, fake Adderall, real Adderall. You couldn't tell the difference. So they're, no. they're printing, you know, fake drugs that look like the real ones. Also, too, they're using Snapchat to get the kids. They've got this. So, so Dr. Phil was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and right. he was talking about this and how, you know, they went and they, they bought some through this because it's a delivery service and you can right. get anything, right? Anything. And so they said that everything that they bought pretty much had fentanyl in it. Oh. And so he was saying that it's not, I mean, not only is it, I mean, because what business model do you do you have where you kill your your clients, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're dying at such an alarming rate that it's like, okay, this this cannot be a business model. This is more like a terrorist model. I have to believe that. I have to believe whether it's China or, or another country. You know, China would be a logical candidate based on Russia. Somebody is out to get us and kill our children and our people. And addiction by itself will destroy your hopes, dreams, futures, life. One out of every eight people is addicted. And it doesn't just affect the addicts, as you know, it affects the family members and, and so on. That that was before, you know, fentanyl. And now, and, and the ability and the access, like you talked about, to get it, to get it delivered, um, it, it's just mind-boggling. You know, I, I mean, the technology and internet is a wonderful thing in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, it's, you know, it's quickening the pace of our, I wore a Yankee hat and played baseball until I was 16 years old. So at least I had a childhood. I had a real childhood. And then I started smoking, you know, okay, but I had a childhood. These kids are 10, 11, 12 years old. And they're wasted. Their minds can't even process what's happening. And then we wonder, you know, why 13, 14, and 15, you know, it's just this insanity. And meth, I have friends in South Dakota and Louisiana who, who I go out and, and speak on their behalf at, at ministries and treatment centers. And meth is destroying them. I mean, for us in Florida, it was opioids. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people weren't, I mean, that was bad. We have Narcan, that's a bad thing. Narcan's good, the opioids are bad. But meth, I mean, these people, it's unbelievable. They're walking in, see like zombies, you know, want to kill people. I mean, it, it is destroying their lives. And their answer is to throw everybody in prison. So everybody is in prison with their parents and grandparents. It's just a horrible, horrible, vicious cycle. You know it, you lived it. Yep. Yep. No, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I had, a, I, I was going to follow up with something, but I forgot, I forgot what it was. So I'm going to move to one of these questions. So what have you struggled with most in your recovery? I think not so much a struggle because for me, and, and I tell this to people, look, you have to embrace the recovery lifestyle. It's like being traded. It's like I played for the Yankees, I go to Yankee Stadium. I get traded to the Red Sox. I don't put on a Yankee uniform anymore. I don't go to Yankee Stadium. Now I go to Fenway. Now I play for the Red Sox. It's very easy for me as a spiritual guy to understand what my life was like before God than after. There was a transformation. And I look at addiction the same way and addiction recovery. Look, if you, I can tell if somebody's you know come out of rehab, if they're going to make it or not, at least that time, are they plugging into the recovery lifestyle? If it's a chore or an obligation and you don't want to go and you don't want to make new friends, you don't want to go to meetings, and you don't want to have sober friends, then you don't get it. You don't get it. It's taking off the old and throwing it away. If I had a, a coat with roaches crawling over it, man, I wouldn't, you know, I'd throw that coat away so fast and burn it, your head would spin. So, yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember playing softball the first time sober and, and running to first base thinking I was going to fall down. And I'm a softball player. 
But you know, I just was like not used to everything straight lands off all. <laughs> and, and, and so for me, there was a transition. But what I want to share with you is it wasn't a struggle. It was a journey and it was so much better. Yeah, there was emotions that I now felt that I used to mask with drugs and, and you know, alcohol and drugs and gambling and that now I had to deal with. But you know what? It, it, it was a new life. I've been in, in hell and in prison. And I consider a prison of the mind and the heart and spiritual for so long that I would embrace it. So I, I would say that, you know, struggle-wise, in the beginning, it was new. And, and all I knew one thing is, you know, I had gone to the point where I still wanted to do cocaine. I wanted it to, to the sexual freedom it gave me and the mental freedom it gave me and, and the other things and, and quaaludes and Percocet. I mean, I know those were the drugs of choice, but man, I did not want to go back to the hell I felt. The, 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 the coming down was so horrible, so horrible, so painful, so torturous. And those are the words I could use that to this day, that's what stops me from going back. So, and I just want to tell your viewers and listeners, man, this side is so much better. And, you know, I wasted 10 years, 12 years of my life, you know, height of my life, partying it away. And, you know, the only thing I can think of is, you know, thankfully God has used me, hopefully, to help other people see the light. So there, there was some good that came out of it. But I don't believe it was God's choice that I'd be a drug addict. That was my choice. I made bad decisions and bad choices. Yes, when I turn from it, you know, God's able to use it. So I would just say really that, that you know, it, it, it's, it's a journey, it's an adventure. I remember two things I'll tell you real quick. Going to college, when, when I went away to college the first time, and when I moved to Florida, those were two times in my life when my life completely changed. I knew that I was leaving the past behind. I knew I was going to something better, but I didn't know what it was. But I experienced it, and that's what recovery is like. You know, learning why you do drugs in the first place, and, and, and why, why did I choose these? What was I escaping from? And, and, and seeing that there's a way out in a better life. And I would just simply say, try it. You know, I never tell somebody who's struggling with addiction, make a promise that you'll never use drugs again. Uh, as a matter of fact, I tell them the opposite. I say, don't say anything. Your word is meaningless at this point in time. Nobody believes you anymore. You have, and I'm talking from first-hand experience. You have no credibility. You're a drug addict. You lie, cheat, and steal. And, and, you know, these are your characteristics of an addict. It's not that you're a bad person. It's like you have the flu. When you have the flu, you're sick. When you're an addict, you behave a certain way. I said, don't say anything to anybody. I say, your actions will speak. I said, but I will promise you this, and I want you, your listeners and viewers to hear this. I promise you this. The lack of respect that, the, that you've lost, that people don't respect you, they don't listen to you, they think you're a loser, they know you're an addict, they think you're worthless, that will change. The one thing I can't tell you is how long it'll take. I can't take, tell you if it'll take six months or two years, but I can tell you that don't promise anybody this is the end or the last time. Just do it and live it, and you will see that that will come back. It will come back. Time and consistency. <clears throat> All right. So I have another one. Let's see. What do you think, your your opinion, the top public safety issue should be if you could pick? Without a doubt. It's not global warming. It's not climate control. It is 100% drug addiction right now, drug addiction and how we deal with it. I think I have a solution and I'm going to share it with you. I've shared it with some public officials before. I haven't seen anybody enact it yet. But think for a minute as to how we had a corrupt police force. That would be a bad thing. And obviously we try and weed that out. But the answer isn't, you know, trying to get rid of everybody now. That's impossible. You can't fire the whole police force. It's with the recruits. 
and, and in the training in the school, can we change their mindset so that when they come in and we weed out the bad guys, we have a clean system. So here's what I think we need to do. I think we need to put counselors in the school, in junior high and high school, maybe even middle school, so that once every two weeks, a student is meeting with, it's a therapist, it's a counselor, with their issues. Now, this won't save everybody, but Sean, the key that I learned in, in rehab is to learn why I was doing drugs. Once I understood why I was isolating myself and choosing to behave this way, I was easy to, it was easy to see. Now, there are some that have experienced tremendous trauma, emotional trauma, abuse, okay? They may require more therapy than just knowing why or just seeing. For most of us, it was things that happened as kids in our childhood. That, that we got feelings of low self-worth, low self-esteem, feeling less than. Even me, you see me today, I was always this way. I'm outgoing, I'm a type A personality. You know, still inside, I felt worthless and rejected, and, you know, deep down, subconsciously. And what brought that on? I, in ninth grade, I was absent 91 out of 180 school days. 90, I would tell my parents both worked. I would tell them I didn't feel good. Oh, I'm sick, my stomach, my head, my, my teeth. Yeah. And my mom, typical Jewish mom, oh, poor Jackie, you know, oh, poor kid, yeah, stay home and feel better. You know, very blessed, have wonderful, loving parents. Uh, very blessed. But I was isolating myself before I ever picked up a drug. Before I ever picked up a drug. So why? You know, why? Well, when I went into rehab, I learned in counseling some of what my issues were, and they were, you know, low self-esteem and self-worth. And, and I was able to see those. And once I saw them, I, I said, you know what, I, I don't need to deal with this or drugs anymore. Now, here's the key, Sean. This is the key. Okay, it's not your fault. When you're a little kid, a baby and a little child, your mind is building up defense mechanisms to protect you from feeling pain. It's doing its job. But the problem is, sometimes we don't need those anymore. And the example would be a little kid, a baby in diapers. That's a great thing. At 10 years old, 12 years old, 20 years old, we don't think you should need diapers anymore. A little kid on a tricycle, wonderful. You're learning how to ride. At 20, 30, 40 years old, we think you take the training wheels off and you'd be riding the bike. So sometimes we don't notice to stop these defense mechanisms. Our mind is thinking it's protecting us. And that's the big lie of addiction. You know, I'm your friend. I understand you. I protect you. Nobody understands you. Everybody's hassling you. Look at the stress you're under from the world. You know, your boss, your wife, your friends. Come, come to me. I'm your friend. I'll understand. But really, it's trapping you. So this understanding and this knowledge is eye-opening and it's powerful. And, and, and it can change your whole world and perspective. And that's what did it for me. And that's why I tell people, you need to understand why. I love AA. I think it's a great program and NA. And I've seen many people get, get sober there. There are many ways out of drug addiction. We'll talk about those. But sometimes if you don't get to the core of the issue of why you did it, you can stop using drugs or alcohol, but you're more miserable than ever. Why? Because you never got to the issue and now you don't have the alcohol or drugs to, to cover it up and medicate you. We call that sometimes a dry drug. So it's very important that, that that's the answer. So if we had counselors in the schools who were able to deal with these kids' issues before they turned to drugs to medicate and mask them, I think we would save a lot of people. So what would it cost? 50000 80000 a year a counselor for two counselors in each school? One hundred sixty grand a year in each school? I, I mean, oh my gosh. It seems like a small investment to me compared to what we're paying in hospitals and crime and, and, and it's just mind boggling. So, and, and I say to people, I say, hey, test my theory. Come back, try it in one school, one time and tell me there was no difference. Aside from that, I, I wouldn't know what to do except send everybody to, to rehab. And again, last thing, Sean, is if somebody doesn't want help and they don't want to stop using, rehab's not going to work. 
you know, mm -hmm. you may have that knowledge, but if you don't want, you know, th that's up to you. I mean, I would tell people to go anyway and hope the light goes off while they're in rehab. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are court ordered, who are going for a parent or a spouse, not because they want to go, or, or a boss is making them go. They don't want to be in rehab. They want to keep using. So did I. I get it. But when I was ready and you were ready, you know, when it took us to hit bottom, and the great saying is, you know, you don't have to hit the bottom floor to get off the elevator. <laughs> yep, that's true. So <clears throat> what you're, what I gather from what you're saying, and, and this is what I say, untreated trauma should be the number one public safety issue because that is what spurs the rest of it, right? Because the addiction, the behaviors, all of that are just symptoms of the underlying problem. And so if we could figure out a way, just like you're saying, I don't know if it's in the schools, it's a good idea. I don't know if it's more of a, a less punitive model and a more therapeutic model. I mean, we really need to get the people that are pulling the strings and pushing the buttons and, and signing the checks, you know what I mean, to, to pay for all of these things, right, to look more into a therapeutic way of dealing with this instead of putting people in prisons and then the people that are coming out of prisons find something to do with them other than just putting them back into the same situation that they left from with the family with the with the the, the person the returning citizen all of those things combined right you just everything just went on pause most of these guys unless they they they're doing significant amounts of time the 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 guy that's doing one to five years doesn't do anything to most of the time to change those behaviors right, right. you're just on a pause you're there you 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 right. get in you barely have enough time to to figure things out right the guys that have been there for 20 years that's a long time i'm not trying to come back right, right. so those folks don't usually don't reoffend it it's the it's the smaller the smaller group here Yep. And this smaller group are the ones that are, are, are you know, I don't know, man, I, I, I've thought a lot about this. You right. know what I mean? I have a, I, I started a 501c3 myself. I just haven't got it off the ground yet. I need to figure yeah. out how to, how to do it. I, I don't understand business. So a great job with the podcast. Do the same thing with the 501c3. Just put it out there. Let people know, but go ahead. I'm sorry. All right. That's enough of me on that little soap, soapbox there. No, uh, it's, it's they say that, you know, I equate to stopping using drugs, like running into a burning building and shutting off the smoke alarm. You know, that's not the problem. Like you said, the drugs and alcohol are symptoms. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. No, no, that, that you're absolutely right. All right. So the next one that I want to get to before we go, because I have another one at six. So let's let's get to this next question here. What are your thoughts on using psychedelics to treat addiction? It's a new field. You know, it's a lot of research. I'm involved with Louisiana Addiction Research Center in some research we're doing. We have a biotech company working for a chemical cure for addiction called Addiction Cure Therapeutic Sciences. It's a long road. I know they're, they're studying psychedelics there, and they're having a little bit of success. I think anything that works would be wonderful. The however would be two howevers. One is, you know, you can't do psychedelics by yourself. You have to be accompanied by kind of a guide. And we would say they're a trip guide, you know, that's mm -hmm. just, Trip center. Not everybody will be able to afford it. And then the question is, is it really a one-time, two-time thing? Or are you going to be doing psychedelics and you're going to be tuning up every week or every month for the rest of your life? In which case, you've replaced one drug with another. But I will say this, you know, the big debate and, and rage on medically assisted treatment 
A lot of people will say, well, you're not clean if you're doing any drugs, which, you know, is technically true. And I used to believe that, no, you know, you had to give up everything until I heard a therapist friend of mine, Louis Delgado, say very appropriately, he said, listen, I'd rather have the guy alive on Subloxone or something so I can talk to him about getting off it than have him dead in overdose. And I thought, you know what, that, that makes sense. So I think it's a very individual thing. I think that, listen, of course, total sobriety is the answer, of course. But, you know, if you can't get there that way, then 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 go medically assisted treatment. I hope psychedelics can cure. I hope ketamine or, or ibogain or any of these things, psilocybin, are, are, are a cure and can bring people out. I know they're working on it for depression and anxiety, you know, many other things as well. It's amazing what science has done. What has been fascinating to me, Sean, is that there are some people in addiction, and I look at it, I compare it to, you broke your leg in a soccer game. You broke your leg in a car crash. A mafia guy hit you, broke your leg with a bat, or you tripped over a hole and broke your leg. Can you imagine how absurd it would be to say, well, I'm not going to go to the hospital to get treatment because I broke it in, 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 a, in a hole. If I'd only broken it this way, I'd go. My comment to everybody struggling with addiction is, I will listen to your story for two hours, and I will sympathize and believe yours is the worst case ever. And, and really, I'm not being facetious. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is do you want help? Yes or no? It doesn't matter how you got there. It, you know, it's a shame how you got there. It's a shame. But the only question is do you want help? If you want help, there's a way out. As a matter of fact, there's seven ways out. So would you pick one of them? And, and the equation I give you is if you told me today I wanted to go to New York, I said, great, there's a plane leaving now. You can be there in two and a half hours. He said, I won't fly. I said, all right, will you take an Amtrak? It'll get you in 20 hours. I will take the train. Will you take a Greyhound? Will you take a bus? No. Will you drive? Will you hitchhike? Will you call Uber? Will you walk? Will you go horseback? Will you go camel? All of them will get you to New York, some more efficiently and effectively than others, some more coffee. All of them will get you there. So there are seven ways, at least, out of drug addiction and alcohol addiction. The question is, do you want a way out? There's a way out. There's hope for everybody. When I wrote the book, Addiction Recovery Handbook, which we're giving away for free as an ebook, and my out of here out, I'm sure you'll tell people at the end, I, I, I realized there were four themes that came through in the book. 17 different writers didn't know what anybody, each guy was writing about. And the themes that came through was, it's a terrible disease, we all agree with that, but there's a way out. And that you have to treat the whole person spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, you know, but, but there's a way out to anybody that wants it. So pick one and, and, and take it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. You know, you just gotta, you just gotta, just like anything else. I mean, you just gotta start, right? When you have a project, you're sitting there looking at, you know, something you need to do, something you don't want to do. And this is huge, giant task and undertaking. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and and just think about how hard it's going to be, or are you going to get in there, start it and figure it out as you go? I heard somebody's, said this to me a couple of times i've heard it before and then i heard it again that re-reminded me of it today it's start messy it's okay to start messy start messy you don't have to be perfect you don't have to be at the treatment center you don't have to do this you don't have to do that i mean you know what i did well jail helped but jail jail did help a little bit but you know what when i quit i i stopped before i went to jail so, cause I had time to turn myself in. And so I didn't want to be kicking while I was in a, a facility that I wasn't familiar with. Right. Yep. I, I'd never been there before. I didn't know what the, the the situation would be. So I didn't want to be kicking something and be vulnerable. <clears throat> so, yeah. And people, a lot of times, you know, one of the issues is that, you know, they always talk about the guy who's talking the loudest 
everybody thinks what works for them is the only way. The AA guy, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, I love AA. We'll say AA is the only way. The rehab guy, rehab. The, the outpatient guy, outpatient. The team challenge guy, team challenge. Well, that works for you. I mean, look, you can, NA or AA will do it if you follow the program and get to the core. Certainly treatment, a 30-day program, a 90-day, a year-long program like Team Challenge or Face Farm. Outpatient, Celebrate Recovery. I mean, there's so many different Therapeutic communities are, are, are a really, really good option that have really high success rates. I love it. But 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 pick one. But don't just, you know, listen to, to one guy. I mean, I, I used to edit a back pain magazine. There were seven ways to, you know, eight, eight ways to get out of back pain. But surgery was pretty radical. But you talk to a surgeon, tell him I have back pain. He says, I can fix you but I need to operate. The chiropractor says, I need to adjust your back. The reflexologist, let me massage your toes. You know, so it'd be a good idea before you have surgery to do the other one. So I say, you know, that's why I wrote the Addiction Recovery Handbook. And I'm not saying it's promote the book. We're giving it away for free. So uh, there's no financial motivation. So we want to help people. We want to help. But I wanted to give you all the different views. I have therapists, doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, AA guy, team challenge guy, research guy, that guy, all these different views. Dallas Strawberry wrote the forward, you know, champion baseball player and, and and recovery guy. And uh, I think after you read it, you'll have all the views. When I wrote My Addict, Your Addict, my, my other addiction book, it was a, a very quick read meant to really get to the heart for somebody who's struggling with addiction to understand that, that, that there's ways out. So they're both available for free. Are you going to give them the website after, Sean, or you want me to give it to them now? Uh, the website's right on the uh, screen. Oh, excellent. Thank you, brother. It's on the screen. So there it is. You can go Jack Allen with go to ebooks. After you go Jack Allen Bean forward slash ebooks, you'll come up to all the ebooks. Any book I wrote, you can have for free as an ebook copy, and I hope it's a blessing to you. So go to the ebook store. And, and that's it. We want to help people recover. I mean, like I said, like you're doing with your podcast, and I think it's, it's just beautiful. Your, your stories of, you know, nowhere to go, but uh, come on. You know, one example I want to give you is, and I, I say this to guys when I speak, I say, listen, you're 40 years old, you're 50 years old, you think it's too late. You say, oh, if I could only be 17 years old again, I would do it right. There's a 17-year-old kid sitting in rehab with you you know he's 17 he don't know nothing he's handsome he can play guitar his father's going to give him the family business he's got everything going for him you're 50 you're thinking i'm a loser i blew it he dies tomorrow in a car crash and you live 40 more years you can't look at anybody else there's hope all it's all it takes is to turn and change and you're an example sean and so am i i'm not saying we're, we're great amazing i'm saying that all we did was we turned away we turn to the life of recovery, whether it was God as it was for me individually or, or higher power or none of the above, whatever it is, it's stop using the drugs. They're taking you to hell. They're taking you down. They're destroying your life. You know it. And there is a way out. The only question is, do you want it? And, and I got to tell you this real story quick. I know my son was struggling with addiction himself. And he was in jail a couple of times. And he's using, and he knew my history and he knew his mother's history. She hadn't had a drink in 35 years. And so one time I, we had to kick him out of the house, which was really unfortunate, but we were two younger kids. And he flipped his car over on I-95 and I had to get him out of the hospital for like the 10th time. I go pick him up. He's all bloody. I bring him home. We already kicked him out of the house. And he wakes up and I looked at him. I said, listen, I'm not mad at you. I said, we're, we're so far past mad. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I said, do you want help? He said, can I think about it? I said, you got an hour. He came back down. And he said, yeah, I want help. I said, I said, one thing. I said, don't do me no favors and don't do your mother no favors. This isn't about me or her. This is about you and your life. If you want help, if you want a better life, there's help in a better life. And I'm happy to say he did go into rehab. He got the help he needed. He's been clean and sober eight years, married, grandkids. It's a wonderful story, but it took him a while. 
And it took me a while and it took you a while. But there's a way out for everybody that wants it. Don't give up hope. Don't let Satan lie to you and tell you you're worthless. Don't let the world lie to you. Don't listen to freaking Instagram and, and, and Facebook and all these things. Just, just believe. You know, you're, you're created for a purpose and a good one. God loves you. Your, your family loves you. We want to see you have the best life possible. And there's a way out, but you have to take it. Yeah, you do. You have to be the one to make the choice and nobody can drag you to anything that you don't want to do. And if you're doing it for other people, like you said, it's not going to stick. You know, if you're doing, if you're doing it because, Oh, this is going to be, you know, the only way I can stay here, you know, so to be home or to do this, to do all of that. I mean, yeah, those will, those will last for a minute, but you know, you're going to not saying that you're going to fail, but the likeliness and the percentage rate, is higher if you're not doing it because you're convinced that you need it, not that somebody else thinks you need it. Yeah, and I have a challenge. I, I challenge people. I say, listen, don't don't say you're not going to do drugs again. Find out the truth for yourself. See why you do drugs, who you really are. And then if you want to go do drugs again, go do drugs again. You know, it's your choice. But at least here's the great line that got me when I talked to the rehab guy before I went in and I tried to change the plan because I didn't like it. You know, And, and he looked at me very nicely and he said, listen, I have a lot of respect for you if you climb up to the top of the mountain, look down and tell me you don't like what you see. He said, I have no respect for you if you won't go up and look. And I'm thinking, well, you know, all right, let me at least see what this is about. You know, you get accepted to college and what did you learn? Well, I didn't learn nothing yet. Why? Well, I'm, I got accepted to Syracuse University. Yeah, I don't know nothing because I didn't go to any classes yet. Four years later, I'll have graduated. I'll know everything. So, man, you got to go in there and learn. I'm telling you, you learn the truth about yourself. See yourself. You learn to love yourself. You learn to forgive yourself for what you did. You will thank that little kid of yours who tried to protect you, meaning yourself, your own mind, who tried to protect you from pain. But then you'll say, thank you for this, but I don't need this anymore. I can take this off. But thank you. I'm not mad at you. you little Jack, you love me. And what you're trying to protect me. But I don't need this. I'm ready to face who I am and love who I am and, and love others. And I can 100% guarantee you that you will not change if you don't try. Amen. You know what I mean? If you don't try, nothing is going to change. So why not just at least try? And, you know, it took me not saying and this is this is controversial in some places, but, you know, right. relapse is a part of, of, of recovery and it is a part of it. It's not the way that you know you should be doing it thinking that you have a relapse left that's not the way to go about it but you know if you fall down get back up start again you know what i mean and hopefully you're not messing with the kind of drugs like heroin or or any of those other ones that when you stop and you start you know what i mean that's 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 a huge that one right there you're not always guaranteed to come back from those it's a great point, Sean. I just want to add that, you know, you and I both have children, so we understand. If our five-year-old hands us a birthday card, it said, happy birthday, daddy, and it was spelt wrong, we wouldn't throw it back in his face and say, you stupid kid, get out of here. What are you doing? We would be so touched by his heart. And I believe God looks at our hearts the same way. Listen, if you fumble in the Super Bowl and you've had 10 MVP championships, it didn't wipe out your 10 MVPs. It, it, it didn't. If you relapse, you know, that's not a good thing, but it doesn't wipe out the sobriety you had. I had a guy call me, oh, I just, I, I, I just lost five years of sobriety. No, you didn't. 
you were sober for five years. That's fantastic. Yeah, now you go back and start again. You made a mistake. Get back in the game. You're our guy. It's only, you know, our hearts are condemning us, people are condemning us, Satan's condemning us. You know, we have to just look at the truth. No, we're not expected to be perfect, but we're expected to try and strive for a goal. Roberto Clemente, an old baseball player, a Hall of Famer guy, said, always set high goals for yourself. And if you fall a little short, no one will ever be disappointed. Mm-hmm. So yep. you know, we love ourselves, and you're absolutely right. You know, relapse is, is not the end. It's, it's, it's a thing, step in the journey. You know, it's, it's a journey. It's an opportunity, uh, actually. It's an opportunity to see where you, because there's some something that's not working, right? Your program, right. however your recovery is, if, if that's a part of it, if that's where you're falling into, if that's what you're slipping into, then there's something not right there. And so it's an opportunity for you to take a better look, a more thorough look inside at what's going on and what's driving you to this. And a lot of times, Sean, the mistake that people make in recovery is they try to tailor the recovery to the way they think it should be instead of listening to the people that are telling you how to do it. By taking a cake and not following the results and recipe and expecting that result. If Bill Gates was teaching about computers or LeBron James about basketball or Brad Pitt about acting, I don't think that if they told you something, you would say, no, I'm not doing it that way. No, you'd be at their feet wanting to learn everything they know. So you need recovery. Get around guys who have been sober 10, 20, 30 years. And when they're gruff and telling you what to do, just do what they freaking say because they know what to do. And so you don't need buddies in recovery. You don't need people who think you're cool and friends. My whole life in, in using is always about this image that I wanted people to have of me. But you know what? People, you know, who like me, never would that that wasn't the image because I wouldn't let them or they didn't want to be my friends, but it was all a clock. Now I can be who I really am, flaws and all. You know, I don't have to hide behind the struggle. I don't have to hide behind an image and, and you just want to be yourself and be loved for who you are and you can be. So, but you got to follow the guys who are telling you the path. If you're dying, having a heart attack, you wouldn't go into the heart surgeon and tell them how to operate. All you would do is say, save me. And, and that's surrender. And that's, that's how you know somebody's ready for recovery. When they don't tell you, I'll do this, but I won't do that. No, won't weigh that. I got to take my dog or I won't. No, shut up. Shut up. And just do what one of these seven ways to recovery is. It's AA or rehab or therapy or kinesiology or outpatient or therapeutic community. Just do what they tell you because they know what they're doing. And, and then come back after, you know, just don't, you know, we, I said this TV production company, I told you, sales guys would come in and they try and tell us, they want to change the script. And I say, do me a favor, do it my way first. And after you've mastered my way, then I'll listen to your suggestions. So guys, you know, just trust those who have been there and lead the way and look for people who have success in recovery. It's not about being their best friend or having people like you or think you're cool. It's about their example and do what they do. Yeah. The people that you don't like are usually the ones that are going to help you the most. <clears throat> there's a reason why you don't like them. You don't like them because there's something about them that remind you of you and things that you don't like about you. And so that's another part of, of, of being a human that people don't really understand the whole projection and, and, you know, how we look at things and look at people and, and the, and the operating system that's going on, which is our subconscious that we have no really idea of it when it's happening and you know the eyeballs up here all it is is just you know the the inputs you know we're getting information 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 and you know our our subconscious is putting it where it needs to go so dude great conversation i definitely appreciate having you on the show jack you've plugged your stuff jackallenlevine.com if you go there all of his stuff he's got tons of tabs over there where he you have everything there 
Yeah, but but for, for your listeners, go to jackalamine.com forward slash ebooks because all the books are free or electronically at that at forward slash ebooks. So go to the ebook section section on the thing. And Sean, it's been my privilege to be here with you tonight. I just want to encourage you and tell you I, I am inspired by your faithfulness, by your desire to get out there and share and help people and bring people in and hear their stories and share it with your, your viewers and audience. And you're making a difference. Your life matters. You're an awesome guy. God bless you. I love you. And thank you for having me on the show tonight. All right. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, I'll link that in the description. I'll, I'll, I'll hook back up with you in an email. Did you say, did you give me your email or did I have yours? I'll email it to you now. Yeah. Email me and then I'll have you link up the stuff and then, and then we'll, we'll go from there and I'll let you know all the other stuff. Awesome. All right, Jack. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye brother. Thank you. Can I sign out, Sean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and and, and finish I have up. Have a great night, brother. Thank you again for everything. God bless you. I right, really enjoyed it. You're the best. All right. So, Jack Allen Levine, man, that was a great conversation and I hope you guys enjoyed it as well as as much as I enjoyed having it. So, not a whole lot other than that. Go to the website, the website, the website, the website, the website. Go to the website, SeanDustin.com. And I have on the bottom there, it's been scrolling if you haven't been paying attention to it. If you've got any kind of podcast needs, you need production, you need editing, you need anything that has to do with podcasting, consulting. If you've you know, got a podcast and you want me to take a look at what you're doing because you don't feel like you're getting enough growth, you don't feel like your social media posts are doing a whole lot, you don't feel like you're 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 you know, doing what you need to be doing in growing your audience, feel free to reach out to me. I will link my consulting or not consulting. I will link my calendar page on there to set up a free 30 minute consultation and we can discuss your podcast and and what it is that you're doing and what you need that's available. Other than that, man, keep it 100, stay true to yourself. Everything else is just noise. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.